Our scripture reading today comes from John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. All right, well, you're going to have to forgive me here. I'm a big football fan. I can see that many of you are as well. Um, but not everybody here is, and that's fine. I get it. Uh, you may not really care about the Super Bowl at all. Uh, I will fully confess that I care way too much about the Super Bowl. And you know you care too much when like, you, you woke up this morning and you found that you were worried about the game way ahead of time. It's just like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? You're not thinking, oh, I can't wait for the game. It's going to be so much fun no matter what happens. That's not what you're thinking. In fact, you can't stand the people who say that. You're just filled with a sense of dread about what could possibly go wrong. Can I tell you one of the things I'm most worried about for this game? I kid you not, seriously, it's the turf. It's the grass. Now maybe you don't know this, this is the same field that wiped out like half the team week one. Uh, it was horrible. It was so bad that the Chiefs organization publicly complained about it after the game. And there's, I don't know if you know this, there's a certain someone with a certain injury on a certain ankle. <laughs> it's amazing to me that we can bring together the most amazing athletes. I mean, seriously, this is the pinnacle of talent and some of the most brilliant strategic minds in the world to compete head-to-head -head in a winner-takes-all competition of mind, body, and will, but it can all pivot on how healthy the grass is, how much it's grown in the last two weeks since it was played on. Or actually, it was a few weeks even before that. It's that basic. It's that fundamental. Did the groundskeepers do their job? And did the turf respond or not? Because there's a version of this game where it all turns on that. All the pageantry and talent and gamesmanship in the world cannot cover for a lack of growth. It can't. Now, why do I say all that? Well, Jesus gave us a version of this object lesson 
in this text. It's right here in John 15. Christians must grow. His followers must grow. His whole mission in the world depends on it. He designed this whole church thing in part to be a place where growth in him is cultivated together. But it's not always easy to do that. And you can probably feel it. If you're, if you're here and you're a Jesus follower, you've probably experienced moments where you think, why haven't I outgrown this? Shouldn't I be further along here? Okay, you sense it in your own faith. Or perhaps you're here and perhaps you're, you're not a Christian, uh, you're wrestling or you're wrestling with doubt about your faith, and not necessarily because of, of Jesus, because you don't believe he is real, but because you've experienced a Christianity, perhaps growing up, perhaps more recently, that was not growing. It felt stagnant. It didn't demonstrate the change or power over the people who claimed it. And you're wondering, how can this be true if, it, if, it's, if people aren't growing? Jesus understood the stakes of our growth better even than we do. It's actually the whole reason he came in the first place. Jesus did not come into the world simply to die and rise again to forgive us our sin. He did do that, but his death was not the end of his mission in your life. It was the means to transform us into the very people he had in mind in the first place. He came to start a process of redeeming growth in a new people that we now call the church. Christians must grow. We must. And, and Jesus, here in John 15, he gives us a metaphor. He gives us a picture. He doesn't use turf. He uses a vine to describe what we should expect in this process of growth and how we participate with him in it. So if you have your Bible and you haven't turned there yet, turn to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in your New Testament, chapter 15, verse 1. I want us to take a look here together. Jesus is describing what growth looks like, what it feels like, and where it goes, what it leads to, to his inner circle, his chosen disciples. This is all a private conversation. We've got about three more chapters of this upper room conversation or this private conversation until Jesus is betrayed and arrested. Jesus, if you, if you were here last week, he's just talked about that we are God's home. God wants to live in us. He wants to make us into a home worthy of his glory. Now Jesus gives a new metaphor. The vine, verse one. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Now what Jesus is picturing here is a, uh, a wine vineyard, which you would see all over the Mediterranean world and was a common metaphor in the Old Testament. It was most often a picture of God's people, of Israel. Israel was God's vineyard that he planted to bear fruit in the world. Psalm 80 is a great example of this. This is just verse 8. You, meaning God, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. This is a reference to Israel's exodus from Egypt and then coming into the promised land. But later, and the prophet Isaiah makes this point, that vine fails.
fails in its mission. God's people failed to bear the fruit he wanted them to, despite all God had done for them. This is from Isaiah 5. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. And Isaiah will go on to say that the Babylonians will exile this vineyard back to Babylon. The vineyard has failed. Jesus now, hundreds of years later, picks up on this picture, but he changes it. Did you see it? He changes it. Jesus doesn't say, we are God's vine. He says, I am the true vine. Jesus here hints what Israel failed to do, to bear fruit. We're going to get to that in a second. Jesus has done and will do. Jesus embodies the purpose and the mission of the nation of Israel as the true vine that God planted in the world. He is the vine, and now we are the branches. That's verse 5. So now we enter God's story no longer as members of the nation of Israel, but as followers of Jesus himself from anywhere and everywhere. Now, this, I point this out. This was shocking to the original listener. This was a brand new idea that Jesus is the vine and faith in Jesus is the trellis now on which God's people grow. We are branches in the vineyard of Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian and we're supposed to bear fruit in that vineyard. Nobody wants a vineyard without grapes. The point is the fruit. So how do we bear fruit? What, what does growth look like for Jesus? This is verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Makes sense, right? The branches only grow when they're connected to the vine. They have to abide. They have to remain in the vine. You cut it off, it dies. Jesus says the same is true for us. The key to growth for Jesus is remaining in him. Let me translate that for us. It looks like depending on Jesus. Growth looks like dependence. I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. The fruit he's looking for is a growing dependence on him for all things. It actually looks like living in such a way that we believe, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And this is counterintuitive for us. Most of us, when we think of growth, we imagine growing in our independence. Growth means being able to do more and more on our own without any help. And that's true in how we grow from children to adults. That is what growth in body looks like. But what does growth in faith look like? It looks like we're depending more and more on Jesus. And again, this makes sense. The growth of a plant is completely dependent on power 
it has no control over. Somehow, plants are designed to take light from the sun and turn it into energy and material to grow. It's astounding, really. It's still mysterious to us. Now think about the difference between the power of the sun and like a dandelion. These are not worth comparing. One gets eaten by toddlers as they walk along the path. The other is incomprehensibly large and unimaginably powerful. And yet they are intimately connected. In fact, the power of the sun is hidden in the very fluff that makes the dandelion a dandelion. We are the same. The power of the Son of God is made manifest in us, each of us, as we depend on him. And this this dynamic, it strikes me in two ways. First, it means that the fruit God is looking for is going to start by asking for help. It will look like acknowledging we can do nothing without him. In other words, it, I think it looks a lot like praying. I think that's why Jesus goes to prayer in verse 7. That's why he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish that will be done for you. Saying as you know me more, you will ask for the things that I want to give to you. You'll depend on me. Again, in this totally counterintuitive way, maturity and growth in Jesus looks like a deepening sense of our own inadequacy to do anything on our own. Growing alone without constant empowerment from remaining in Jesus is like asking a tree to grow on the dark side of the moon. It just won't happen. It looks like asking for help. And it's also counterintuitive perhaps this way. It looks like asking for help in every part of our lives. This is, this is a counterintuitive to us. This, this is, Jesus is not saying, ask for my help with the spiritual stuff and the rest is up to you. The fruit of dependence grows on Sunday and it grows on Monday. There's no difference here. Growth looks like depending on God to help you be a, a patient with your roommates and, and your community group and your family, sure. Combating sin in your life, absolutely. But it also looks like asking for help with your customers and your meetings and your direct reports and your spreadsheets. I, I know that may be counterintuitive for you. Those are probably the spaces you feel the most comfortable and the most adequate if you've enjoyed any professional success. Growth looks like realizing you aren't adequate in those spaces by yourself. You need help at church, at home, at work, everywhere. You are always a branch on the vine. No matter where you go or what you're doing, you need help and you have help. Jesus' power is available to you everywhere and always. And apart from him, We can do nothing. The fruit, the growth Jesus is looking for, I think it really comes down to dependence on him in all things. It looks like dependence, but it feels like pruning. (laughs) Look back at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, that is the Father, takes away. 
And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, Jesus is warning us of two things here. First, that not bearing fruit, not growing at all, is not an option for us as his people. Every branch that does not bear fruit, his father takes away. And again, this makes sense. We know that a plant is either growing or it is dying. It's a binary process. Plants do not hit a stage where they stop photosynthesis. They don't say, you know what, I'm good now, I'm done. Even in the winter, even in really difficult seasons, the tree is still growing. It is putting a ring on. It may not look like growth, but it is. Second, and more where I want to focus, even when we are growing, it will feel like pruning. Now Jesus is, again, he's playing on a common farming practice where in a paradoxical way, the plant does better when you cut parts of it away, which does not sound very exciting, does it? And it gets worse. Listen to Jesus here verse, back in verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more. Even the stuff that's growing needs to be pruned. Pruning is not just cutting away dead things that are not growing. It is also cutting away living things that aren't needed. We might say that perhaps there are even good things that aren't best things that must be pruned away. And the plant, you'll notice, does not know the difference in the moment. If the branch on the vine could speak, it would protest at the pruning. Even though it cannot become its most fruitful self without it. Only the vine dresser can know the end result. The plant, as it were, has to submit to the wisdom of the pruner. That is also not usually very fun. And it probably doesn't feel like growth in the moment, but it is. And it's as necessary to our growth as depending on Jesus. And my hunch is that if you were to look back at the moments in your life, for those of you who, who are Jesus followers, you could look back on the moments in your life where you grew the most, you would find evidence there of our Father's hand. There was an older gentleman I knew here back when I was, I was a brand new pastor. I was still learning the ropes. I say that like I'm not still learning the ropes. Um, but it was one of my very first hospital visits that I did. It was an extended stay for this gentleman. It was brutal. Test, surgery, recovery, really hard. And I, I uh, saw sitting at this man's, uh, I was sitting at his bedside, and I, I said something like, as he told me what he had been through, I said, that all sounds horrible. And that's not a bad thing to do. I was just trying to empathize with the difficult situation. But the man shook his head. And he said, it was at first. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that God would get me out of here. And one night, I, I couldn't sleep. And if you've ever been in a hospital, you know how hard it is to sleep. I was desperately praying, even to the point of tears about this moment. And then this overwhelming, this is what he said, this overwhelming sense of peace filled the room and a question popped into my head. And it was not my question. It said something like this. What if, instead of asking how I can get you out of this hospital room, you asked for power to get me into your hospital room? And he didn't put it this way, but something fell away in that moment. 
a desire that wasn't bad, but wasn't needed. And the next day, he learned doctors' names and nurses' names. He greeted them by name. He thanked them. He showed gratitude. He smiled. He laughed. No one knew what to do with this man. His circumstances had not changed. But he had. There was fruit where there had been no fruit. And my eyes went wide as he told me this, but they shouldn't have. This is, this is pruning. This is part of what Jesus describes. Now listen, God doesn't cause bad things to happen to teach us lessons. But he does use those things to cut away and give light to the parts of us that need to grow. It's supernatural. It's growth. It doesn't often feel like it, but it is. And when we submit to it, when we work with it, when we, we learn to obey, we can learn our last lesson here about growth. Here's how Jesus ends this whole section, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now notice with me, Jesus here links our growth in obedience and dependence. Even when that obedience looks like asking for help, it looks like being overwhelmed, it feels like pruning, Jesus links our growth to joy. He's promising something here that makes Christian obedience to the vine dresser, to the father, different from every other kind of obedience. It makes Christian growth different from any other kind of growth. For Jesus, growing in him is not the test to prove we deserve joy. Growing in him is joy. It is joy. We do not depend on Jesus to stroke his ego. We do not submit to his pruning to prove our worth to him. We do not obey to earn anything from Jesus. The dependence, the obedience, the growth is the gift. It is joy. There is no way to have lasting joy without growth in obedience. Jesus, in this simple verse, he tells us exactly how we are to understand everything he ever taught us to do. Why must we be reconciled to each other when we don't want to? Why must I love my neighbor as myself? Why should I trust God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Why should I fight the greed and the self-righteousness and the murderous anger and the lust and all these things that come so easily to me? Jesus, why should we listen to you? The answer is found in watching how Jesus himself lived. It's the reason Jesus did everything he did. You must obey because Jesus obeyed. Even when it was painful. You must love as Jesus loved, even people who hate you. You must submit as Jesus submits, even to death on a cross, because that obedience is where Jesus found his joy with his Father. Did you see that connection? There's nothing Jesus asks of us in all of his teaching that he himself has not done a hundredfold. 
because Jesus knows that is where life is actually found. It's where joy comes from. The author of Hebrews makes the same point. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Sounds like pruning. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Jesus is desperate for us to grow and to depend on him in all things to endure his father's pruning, even when it makes absolutely no sense in the moment, to put effort into obeying, even when that's difficult or embarrassing or costly, because as our faith and trust and obedience grow, so too will our joy. And Jesus knows this so deeply, so thoroughly. He wants so desperately for his joy to be our joy. He'll endure the cross despising its shame, not only to rescue us from death, but to help us grow into life. Because here's the promise. Even the smallest, weakest, most brittle, pathetic branch in his vineyard, when it remains in him, is destined to be full of joy, is being nursed and pruned for such glory and beauty and holiness that we would hardly believe it. We can't imagine the beauty of the rose by staring at its seed, and yet one is destined to become the other. And Jesus promises here, somehow, despite our limping leaves and our meager grapes, that we are destined for supernatural growth, to become a garden, to become a vineyard, unlike the world has ever known. Remain in me, says Jesus. Remain in me. Abide in me. Depend on me. Build your life on me. And my Father will be your Father. And my power will be your power. And my home will be your home. And my joy, even the joy he has now at his Father's side, that joy will be your joy. And your joy will be full. Let's pray to him now. Jesus, teach us, remind us as your people that the call to obedience, the promise to grow is a part of the gift. It's a part of you saving us to become who and what we have always been meant to be. Holy Spirit, help us to grow in dependence on our Father. Help us to submit to his design and his pruning in our lives. And Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, we ask that our joy would grow too. We pray this in Jesus' name.